0: systemic racism and the christian response part one of our two-part series on this topic is our topic today here on the christian worldview radio program where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of christians and to share the good news that all people can be reconciled to god through faith in jesus christ i'm david wheaton the host and our website thechristianworldview.org. Well, thank you for joining us today as we talk about systemic racism and the Christian response. Now, following the death of a, a black man named George Floyd, under the knee of a white Minneapolis police officer named Derek Chauvin, widespread protests and violence continue to, to shake our nation. The narrative that is most frequently and loudly being repeated by the mainstream media, Democrat politicians, and some Republicans, woke corporations, celebrities, people of all ethnicities, and many evangelical Christians, is that America is systemically racist against blacks, and major, quote, change is needed. Now, the word systemic means that something is present in an entire system or body, not merely localized or the exception to the rule. So the accusation of systemic racism is that the entire body of America, from the government, to the courts, to the police, especially the police, to the educational system, to business, to health care, to churches, to individuals, oppresses black people. But is there actually evidence that this is true? And if not, what are the consequences of believing a falsehood? And why are so many professing evangelical Christians and churches expressing support for this prevailing narrative. Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, hosts of the Just Thinking podcast, join us today on the Christian Worldview radio program to discuss their experience being black in America and how Christians should think about the issue of sinful ethnic prejudice what the world mislabels racism. Let's get to the first segment of that interview. Virgil, you haven't been on the Christian Worldview before. Our listeners will mm-hmm. be very familiar with Daryl, who was our keynote speaker at our last Christian Realview Speaker Series event. So Virgil, let's start with you. Tell sure. us about your background, how you were saved, what was your, your growing up yours like? Came to Christ uh,
1: around high school. Dear friend of mine, John Lindsay, uh, who was my best friend at the time, had come back from the summer break and uh, was serious about his faith. Um, I got a chance to watch his example and he would bring me into just a process of evangelism. Uh, uh, long story short, I, I would come to know very quickly that I was a sinner in need of a savior uh, and that the only way of salvation was uh, by faith, uh, repentance and faith in, in Jesus Christ. And so shortly thereafter, after coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, be baptized and uh, become uh, a, a part of you know, church circles from that standpoint. At the time, I was involved in, uh, in the Church of Christ. I actually went to a Church of Christ college for a number of years. What's interesting about that is my background for my parents is is more Pentecostal. So I would come home and have debates with my parents about what, you know, what was uh, for today, what wasn't for today, you know, with regard to gifts of the spirit and all of that. And I would shortly thereafter get married uh, there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, My family and I would move to, uh, to Omaha, Nebraska, as I would take a job in the pharmaceutical sales arena. My wife, my three children... Uh, we've been here now for a little over a decade. I'm um, adult discipleship pastor there at Westside Church, and uh, it's an it's a SBC church, about 2,500 people, three campuses, and I provide oversight for all the adult education in that space.
0: Thank you for letting us know about your background. Daryl, yeah. just for new listeners out there who didn't get to hear your story when you were on the program last summer, just give us a, a brief bit about your background as well.
2: I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, native of Atlanta, born and raised in some of the most dangerous inner-city housing projects on the west side of that city. My mother, as a child, wore what I like to say, wore the spiritual pants in the family. The first church I ever remember going to, believe it or not, from a worship-style standpoint, was sort of a combination of Pentecostalism and Roman Catholicism, Mm -hmm. if you can believe it. Uh, Had a female pastor uh, who went by the title of archbishop. Uh she was married to a Roman Catholic priest, graduated high school, went into the military nine days after graduating high school, did six years in the uh in the US Army. Uh ended up joining First Baptist Church of Atlanta where Dr. Charles Stanley, I think, is still the senior pastor mm-hmm. there, and ended up staying there for about twenty-three years, as most Southern Baptist churches are. Uh First Baptist of Atlanta was Armenian uh in their soteriology. So it was at that point, however, that I was Say that's when I came to faith in Christ. Someone from the orchestra at the uh, First Baptist uh, Church of Atlanta Orchestra came and visited me at my apartment, led me down the Romans Road. That was my first awareness that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. Got married while I was there. I have two adult children. Was introduced to uh, Reformed theology about seven, eight years ago. Started reading a lot of the Puritans, and then uh, uh, came to an understanding of uh, what was referred to as the Doctors of Grace and just realized that how I understood salvation was just totally wrong. So just last year, I had an opportunity to relocate from Atlanta here to uh, Valencia, California, to come and serve at Grace to You, which is the uh, Bible teaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur, uh, in the capacity of uh, Dean of Social Media. So I manage all the social media for Grace to You. Been partnered with this gentleman, Virgil Walker, here for about two years on the Just Thinking podcast and just having a a ball, partnering with him in that ministry.
0: Again, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker with us today on the Christian Realview. As we talk about the so-called race protests and riots going on in this country, what was your experience for both of you growing up black in America? There's lots of different experiences that black families have. Some have probably very little interaction with the type of things that are being Complained about or aggrieved about right now, but uh, what was your both experience growing up in this country For
1: me, there's not a distinction uh, of, of what it means to grow up black. Uh, I grew up in America. my experiences are unique to my own. I think we have been programmed to believe that there is one uh, monolithic quote unquote black experience or or that or that all blacks experience some of the same things. I think humans Experience all humans experience prejudice. All humans experience racism. All humans experience you know some some form of of sin against them by someone else. And so I don't think my experience uh, because of the level of melanin in my skin is unique uh, to me than it would be to someone else. So again, with all that as backdrop, have I experienced people uh, sinning against me because of my ethnicity? Well, absolutely. But the thing is. I've had that experience both from people who had the same melanin count or more melanin in their skin than I have. And I've experienced that from people who had less melanin count than than I have. So for me to characterize that as, well, white people did this to me would be foolish because I could easily say black people did this to mm-hmm. me uh, as as well. And so I, I really try to try to refrain from that. My experience has been one of growing up in a with a wonderful family, a mom and dad who loved and cared for one another, who... Uh, as imperfect as they were, desired to make the best of what they had for us as a family. Uh, my dad taught me incredibly hard work ethic, uh, taught me that I needed to do what I needed to do to be successful, um, taught me to be self-reliant, independent, taught me to, to to love neighbor, to have integrity, not to lie. Those kinds of natural things that I think all good parents try to instill in their, in their children. Those have been my experiences. Have I, have I experienced people uh, doing egregious things toward me? Uh, on the basis of my ethnicity, yes, but that is not unique to a black person or a white person. That that's that's been all people of all of all ethnicities uh, who have who have been you know difficult because of the sin nature that's in all of humankind. So yeah. I'll start there.
0: Well said. You could say the same thing for Christians as well. They're they're treated differently because of their beliefs, of course. And anyone who's a follower of Christ has certainly experienced that. Daryl, let's go over to you real quick. Is there any particular noteworthy things from your background?
2: The question itself, David, you know, ill treatment that I've experienced for being black, most people, when they pose that question, it's such a one-sided question because intrinsic with the question is the assumption that any ill treatment you have experienced for being black has been at the hands of someone who's not black. And, and I can tell you from my experience, any ill treatment that I've experienced has been from black people, has been from people who look like me. So earlier on, just a moment ago, I was talking about my background a little bit. I've been held up at gunpoint twice in my life, robbed at gunpoint twice in my life. Each time was by someone who looked like me, not by someone who looks like you, David. So when I look at the question, when I think about the question you just asked, I automatically think about the assumptions that are built into that question, that any ill treatment I've I've experienced— is, number one, because I'm black, and then number two, for that reason, has been at the hands of somebody who's not black. Our experience, and this is another stereotype that he and I as conservative black reformed Christians have to deal with on an almost daily basis, that because we share a similar shade of melanin, that every single aspect of our being is exactly the same on that solely on that basis. Every other ethnicity on this planet, not just in America, gets the benefit of the doubt that they're unique individuals. In the black space, especially in America, and I hate to use the term black community, but I'll use it for the sake of conversation. In the black community, we're lumped in the same bucket not not only by people who don't look like, like us, but it's probably worse. By people who look like us, who expect us to think alike, vote alike, mm-hmm. respond to injustices alike. Mm. I often think about how, as a black person, especially in America, you are allowed, you are permitted, you, it is acceptable to choose what career you want to have, what school you want to go to, where you want to live, what church you want to attend, what religious worldview you want to have. But when it comes to a socio-political worldview, if you don't land on the, what's now coming to fore, the more liberation theology, sort of crystal marxist worldview, the activist evangelism perspective, if you don't land in that space, you're totally ostracized, no matter how your resume may look in terms of street cred, or how much you've suffered, how much you've even given back to the quote-unquote community. If you don't land in that space, in terms of ideology, it's as if you don't exist. We are unique individuals, though we may share a similar shade of melanin. We are created uniquely in the image of God, just like anyone else.
0: Mm. Again, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker today with us on The Christian Worldview, the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. You are highly encouraged uh, to listen and to subscribe to that podcast. Uh, go to iTunes or Google Play to do so or their website, justthinking.me. Okay, the two things I really want to focus on in our interview today are the accusation of systemic racism as being the reason that uh, the protests and riots that are taking place, that's what's behind them all. That's what we're being told. And then the second thing I'd like to focus on is the Christian response, the church's response to all that's taking place today. Let's start with you, Daryl, on the question of just the protests and the violence and the riots themselves that are taking place now. It started here in the Twin Cities. Now it's all over the country. Why do you think these protests, these riots this time have descended to this degree right now? This is the worst I think it's been in this country from a quote-unquote racial Conflict standpoint in in many decades. Okay, we're going to have uh, Daryl answer that question after this first break of the day here on the Christian Real View. We're talking about systemic racism and the Christian response. This is going to be a very different narrative than is being pushed full time by the media, by other people, by organizations, even by evangelical Christians right now. So I hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of the program today. I'm David Wheaton. You're listening to The Christian Realview. View. More coming up right after this. People everywhere have anxiety about the coronavirus pandemic. What will happen to their health, their job, their finances, the future? There is also heightened spiritual awareness. Why is God doing this? Am I right with him? We encourage you to order Ray Comfort's 20-page booklet, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, which explains how one can have peace with God and a confident hope for this life and the next through the good news of the gospel. If you have never contacted the Christian Realview, request the booklet, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, for free, by calling us at one 646 2233 For everyone else, you can order as many as you'd like for 50 cents per booklet, perfect for sharing with others. To order go to thechristianworldview.org or call one 646 2233 That's thechristianworldview.org.
3: The mission of the Christian worldview is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news that all people can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. For when Christians have a stronger faith and when unbelievers come to saving faith, lives and families and churches, even communities, are changed for the glory of God. The Christian Worldview is a listener-supported ministry. You can help us in our mission to impact hearts and minds by making a donation of any amount or becoming a monthly partner. All donations are tax-deductible. You can give online at thechristianworldview.org or by calling us toll-free 1-888-646-2233. When you give, we'd like to thank you by sending you a current resource. Monthly partners can choose to receive resources throughout the year. Call one 646 2233 or go to thechristianworldview.org. Thank you for your support.
0: Think biblically and live accordingly. That is what we try to do with every topic, every week here on the Christian Worldview radio program, and particularly this one, as we talk about systemic racism and the Christian response. It's going to be a two-part series. Today as part one. We'll talk more about systemic racism this week, and then next week more about the Christian response uh, to this allegation of systemic racism. Our guests are Daryl Harrison. He's the dean of social media at Grace To You and also Virgil Walker, the discipleship pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska. They are the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. And you can go to our website, thechristianworldview.org and you can get a link right to them, and you can subscribe to that. Okay, let's get straight back to the interview with Daryl and Virgil. Why do you think these protests, these riots, this time, have descended to this degree right now? And this is the worst I think it's been in this country from a quote-unquote racial conflict standpoint in, in many decades?
2: I don't know if it's so much worse than any other instance in, uh, in at least in re- recent decades when we've had riots and protests that are violent. What I see is that this is, this is just a new opportunity for our sinful nature to manifest itself in ways that it always does. We just have a new generation of participants. Mm. That's the only thing that's different here. Same sin, different participants. That's all that's going on. So I have to a certain degree blame the church for this. Let me put that into some context because if if you want to go back, I'm going to try to connect my own experience, especially how I grew up in the inner city, with what I'm seeing in urban areas like my home city of Atlanta, what I'm seeing here in L.A., what Virgil's now seeing in Omaha, what's going on in uh, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Chicago, cities like that. These are areas where you have large minority populations in terms of ethnicity, where the gospel is not being preached in these cities. The gospel of heart regeneration, confession and repentance of sin, just the doctrine of sin, the reality of sin and what it means in our everyday existence and how our sinfulness of impacts one another in society is just not being taught. So when you see people respond, and, and, and listen, let's be honest here. A lot of these protesters, a lot of these demonstrators who are out there doing damage, doing violence, would probably profess to be Christians. What we're seeing is just totally antithetical to First John 2.15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, because this world is passing away. When we see people responding like this to perceived injustices, and I emphasize the word perceived because the incident in Minnesota that has triggered these protests or what people are saying has triggered these protests has not been fully adjudicated yet. This is not the response for me as an individual, us as a church a matter of fact, this is the expected reality that we should anticipate daily in a world that's just handicapped by sin. So when you look at that way, I have to say, is the church, or pulpits in these cities, preaching the biblical gospel, starting off with our sin nature, congenital sin nature, and how Christ came to deal with that? Now, from the standpoint of systemic injustice, I want to address that, that term for a second. Nothing that is deemed systemic ever occurs in a vacuum. Whether we're talking about a metastasizing disease such as cancer or societal malady, such as what I like to call it ethnic prejudice, what people call racism, I call ethnic prejudice. None of that ever occurs in a vacuum. There is always an origin and a cause. Always. Now, in the case of the latter, in the case of sinful ethnic prejudice, that origin and cause is invariably the sin that resides in the heart of every single one of us. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, well, I want that police officer who allegedly murdered George Floyd, I want justice for that individual. Well, what they really want is vengeance, because when you look at justice from, from God's standpoint and whether or not we have a problem of systemic racism in America, anything that's systemic begins with an individual. It begins with one heart. Mm-hmm. The reason we had Jim Crow laws is because one person got the idea, and then that spread to another person and another person, and the next thing you know, it was the law of the land. So mm-hmm. we have to look at all of this through the biblical archaeology of sin being the root cause.
1: Let me add a little bit to that. Daryl did a
2: fantastic job of, of unpacking that
1: and, and, and acknowledging the fact that what's, what people are interested in is is not— it's not justice they're interested in vengeance, which is why they have no problem validating lawlessness in the streets. I was reading an article they had crashed in a a, a target store and taken out a you know a bunch of merchandise uh, and when interviewed uh, their thought process was all target was built on slave money, so i 'm just taking back what's due me mm. so th- those are the kinds of things that are being said as a, as a, as a result. what people are looking for is, is revenge is vengeance i 'll add this to what was said about systemic racism, I think we use terminology bought from the culture. Uh, and, as, and as believers, it's mm-hmm. imperative that we use language that scripture provides for us. If, if a physician misidentifies the diagnosis, he's going to decide that the, that the cure that's needed uh, or, or the medication that's needed, it, it won't be sufficient to, to take care or to treat uh, what ails. And, and what we need to do is go back to biblical language. When we're talking about systemic racism, first, we need to understand what's meant by systemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm turning in my Bible to Romans chapter five. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. If you're looking for something systemic, that thing which is systemic is sin. If that's what's meant by systemic, I agree. If, if what's meant by, by, by race uh, is is something uh, biblical rather than race says, which is something that does not exist. Biblically speaking, we understand that from one man came all men, Acts 17, 26. So the truth is that all of us, black, white, red, yellow, brown, are one race of people, biblically speaking. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to understand, quote unquote, systemic racism, what we need to understand is we need to change it from systemic racism to the words imputed sin. Mm. Biblically speaking, what we're talking about is not something that the culture is called or identified as systemic racism, What we need to understand and identify is what's called imputed sin, the sin of Adam imputed to mankind. Therefore, we can now present, now that we have the disease, we can present the proper cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker join us today, the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast, talking about systemic racism and the church's response to it. Let me give you a a definition, if you will, of how the world perceives systemic racism. The systemic racism, they would say, is toward people of color. That's their term generally, but specifically, maybe mostly, towards those who are black. This is from an online Mm -hmm. website of a very well-known corporation. And it says, we all have to do a better job of calling out systemic racism. Here are seven ways we know that it's real. And they give seven different categories here that proves that our society is systemically racist. According to wealth, employment, education, criminal justice, housing, surveillance, and health care. So I'm just going to read one sentence for each one. I'm going to ask you to respond to some of these things to say whether these are in fact actually true uh, or there's an explanation for this is that non-blacks are ethnically prejudiced, as Daryl said, toward blacks. So wealth, Mm -hmm. according to one study, and I I can't attest to the truthfulness of these studies. I'm just going to read what they wrote, and you can correct it if you know the difference. But anyway, with regard to wealth, white families hold 90% of the national wealth Latino families, 2.3, and black families, 2.6. Therefore, the conclusion they would have is systemic racism. Number two, employment. Black unemployment rate has been consistently twice that of whites over the past 60 years. Therefore, the conclusion is systemic racism toward blacks. Number three, education. Black children constitute 18% of preschoolers nationwide. They make up nearly 50% of suspensions. Black students are three times more likely to be suspended than white students. Achievement gap in schools that are majority black. Therefore, the conclusion of this corporation is systemic racism toward blacks. Criminal justice is the fourth one. Blacks make up 13% of the population. They represent about 40% of the prison population. Once arrested, black people are convicted more often than white people. Therefore, again, the conclusion is there must be systemic racism against blacks housing people of color are told about and shown fewer homes than apartments than white black ownership is now at an all-time low again conclusion is there must be systemic racism toward blacks surveillance the last two more than half of all young black people know someone including themselves who has been harassed by police Uh, black drivers are about 30 times more likely according to this than whites to be pulled over by police conclusion again systemic racism toward blacks last category from this corporate website on systemic racism is with the issue of health care black americans are far more likely than whites to lack access to emergency medical care the hospitals they go to tend to be less well-funded and staffed by practitioners with less experience conclusion the country the systems of this country are systemically racist toward blacks We'll start with you, Daryl. You take a few of those, and then Virgil, you take a few of those and explain how that is not systemic racism or is systemic racism and how you see this particular worldview because it's incredibly pervasive and is really the justification for all the protests and riots going on right now.
2: I just find it interesting that this website wants to list a bunch of numbers to argue for what they're saying is a problem of attitude
0: attitude. Okay, we'll let Daryl explain what he means by that because these are the statistics that have been repeated over and over and over again proving the huge charge over all these race riots and protests and demonstrations. The country is systemically racist, it's unjust. More on the Christian Worldview after this. It is a pain to know that there are people who do not know Jesus. It is a greater pain to know that oftentimes Jesus and Christianity is being distorted.
2: Your destiny is calling
0: out. It's time to start living large. I don't think God killed Jesus. That's a sick God and a sick story. This is the doctrine of Christianity. This is the doctrine that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. The American Gospel films contrast the false teaching so prevalent today to true biblical Christianity. Both films are available in our store and would be excellent to show to your family or small group or give to your pastor. To order, go to thechristianworldview.org or call one 646 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331.
4: Be sure to take advantage of two free resources that will keep you informed and sharpen your worldview. The first is the Christian Worldview weekly email, which comes to your inbox each Friday. It contains a preview of the upcoming radio program, along with need-to-read articles, featured resources, special events, and audio of the previous program. The second is the Christian Worldview Annual Print Letter, which is delivered to your mailbox in November. It contains a year-end letter from host David Wheaton and a listing of our store items, including DVDs, books, children's materials, and more. You can sign up for the weekly email and annual print letter by visiting thechristianworldview.org or calling 1-888-646-2233. Your email and mailing address will never be shared, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Call 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. And welcome
0: back to the Christian Worldview radio program. I'm David Wheaton, the host. Our topic today is systemic racism and the Christian response. This is a two-part series. Today is part one and. At the end of the last segment, I asked Daryl and Virgil, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, our guests, the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast, about all the statistics that are, that are rolled out with regard to the wealth disparity, employment, education, criminal justice interactions and, and uh, uh, surveillance of blacks, health care, housing, all those things that seem to indicate these huge disparities that, that are used as justification that our country is systemically racist towards blacks. And Daryl was just getting started with his response, so let's get back to the interview with both of them.
2: I just find it interesting that this website wants to list a bunch of numbers to argue for what they're saying is a problem of attitude i mean how how do you How do you remedy an attitude by skewing numbers in one direction or another? you know when you you talk about statistics like this which are very subjective and selective. You know, I have a background in statistics and data. As the old adage goes, you can make a statistic mean anything you want. So here we have a bunch of statistics with no context whatsoever. But as we look at these numbers, I'm always interested in what people don't lay out in terms of statistics. So you take education, for instance, according to this website, black children constitute 18% of preschoolers nationwide, they make up nearly 50% of suspensions. Well, I could argue just as well to give that stat some context is that a lot of that is due to the level of single parent homes in black communities where there's no father. There's no one to apply discipline and balance in the home. There's no male father figure uh, for these young black men and young black daughters to look up to. The abortion rate, in black neighborhoods is not is a st- statistic that's not listed here seventy two percent I believe abortion rate in black communities in America. criminal justice blacks make up thirteen percent of the population. they represent about forty percent of the prison population well what's what's not talked about in that thirteen percent number is what percentage of black people in America are victims of crimes by that same 13% population. So here again, we have a statistic with a huge assumption behind it that the 13% of the population of the black population that's in prison doesn't deserve to be there. They're innocent by virtue of their ethnicity. So this, this is, these are virtue statistics right here. This is virtue signaling by statistic with no context whatsoever. At the bottom line, I'm just puzzled by this website arguing that the way to remedy what is essentially a social disparity, as they see it, that is caused by prejudicial attitudes is that you fix the attitude by remedying these numbers. And it, it just doesn't make sense. That's just nonsensical to me. Verge, what do you think?
1: I appreciate what you, what you shared. I appreciate the statistics. Most folks gravitate toward numbers like this for the purpose of proving a point. Um, the point that they've wanted to make is they've made the diagnosis rather than taking the time to go through and fundamentally identify what each of the unique problems are. They've simply placed a label on it, systemic racism, and by which they're going to present a cure. What's scarier than, than the misdiagnosis of the problem is what the cure is going to be and what they're going to prescribe as a result. And what's going to be prescribed more times than not is really a an additional sin on humanity. It's the sin of partiality. Now in order to remedy in order to remedy what they see as a as a problem, it now becomes incumbent upon all of white society uh, who had no direct participation in many of these issues uh, to do something on their behalf to help uh, those who are identified as other. Big problem when you have these issues with with these inequities and and they're over and they're they're labeled under one diagnostic, right, which is systemic racism. We definitely as believers, the only way to really identify what's going on is to get to the to to the the root of the issue in the homes. And, for example, I mean, I could I could pull up a number of statistics uh, if anyone wants to do the homework uh, and look at the issue of, of fatherlessness, children in father-absent homes are four times more likely to be poor. Uh, in 2011, 12% of children in married couple families were living in poverty compared to 44% of children in mother-only homes. In, in other words, when you have a, a single parenthood rate of 72% in the in Black families, in Black neighborhoods, and in, in, in the Black community, so to speak, you're going to have more crime, which puts more of those black men in positions where they're engaged with police officers and, and then the statistics follow rather than doing that kind of diagnostic work rather than going on and identifying the sin that's in the heart of the human condition and it's and its solution which is the gospel of jesus christ it's easier just to say hey here are all of these stats here's the problem and we know what we know how to diagnose this the diagnosis is quote-unquote systemic racism and we know what the cure is the cure is and what they're going to say is the cure is to deconstruct the systems that have power in an effort to put other broken sinful human beings into power so that they can thereby abuse power in an effort to in in their words to provide some level of equity this is not a solution this is this is this is disastrous for our country for our nation uh, and for the individuals it affects directly
2: Can I just add one more thing to what Virgil uh, just said? On our podcast, we did an episode titled A Biblical Theology of the Role of Government. Part of my thesis in that episode was—and I think this ties into the statistics that this website is conveying and what they're trying to argue—these statistics buy into the myth that there should be equity in this land and in this world. That's good. That is a myth. Scripture doesn't teach that, but— society does, that society says what the ultimate goal of a fair and just society, true justice means equity across the board and that no one should ever do without anything. The problem with that number one, is not biblical. Number two, one of the points Virgil just made is because of the sin nature that indwells each and every one of us equity will never be a reality in this world. I wanted to mention that as well as a sort of a caveat to an underlying argument that these statistics are trying to make, is that ultimately the goal should be an equitable society where everyone has what they need and oftentimes has what they want. But who defines that? Who defines what equitable is? Who defines how a just society will look? But biblically, the Word of God says there should be no partiality whatsoever. Leviticus 19.15, I'll just read that real briefly. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. So when you look at these statistics from this website, they're violating that commandment. Not that they're a Christian entity, but the principle is they're violating the precept of Leviticus 19.15 by showing prejudicial bias even to the poor. Even that's a sin.
1: Can I add one more yes, thing? Yes, of course. And, and just briefly, the issue of, of systemic racism presupposes who the victim is and who the mm-hmm. oppressor is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of those statistics were in an effort to presuppose the idea that, that at the root of the problem, at the root of the problem of all of these quote-unquote inequities is the white man. Mm-hmm. It's the white man. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result... What's going to happen is when the solutions get prescribed, it's going to require someone white paying for something that they played absolutely no part, no role, uh, had no responsibility for. But on the basis of, of how, the, how things are set up, statistically speaking, what we've been, how, the manner in which we've been educated in our, in our uh, education system, K through twelve, not to include the indoctrination that takes place at college. They're depending upon the fact that you've been trained well to, to, to respond in a specific way. This is no different than, than the narrative that's out currently. The media recognizes that the point at which you say white cop, black man, they trust that you've been educated to the degree that you're going to have an automatic response. You're not going to ask any questions. Your automatic response will be when you hear white cop, black victim will be that's Racist. I don't need a bit of evidence to prove it. I don't need to go and find out anything else. And these statistics are designed for you to have that that similar natural response, that you're going to presuppose that someone white is at fault, they are to blame, and therefore they must pay.
0: Yeah, That's problematic. I think as Daryl was mentioning earlier, and you just said that immediately this case of Derek Chauvin, the police officer, the white police officer who had his knee in the back of the neck of George Floyd, black man, it's already been conclusion made that there, it was racism uh, that he was doing that. Now, it could be. He may have hated black people, but that hasn't been established yet. But then there's the next leap that's immediately made. Well, therefore, the entire Minneapolis Police Department is dominated by those who hate black people. And then by extension of that, the next leap that is assumed and made is that, well, the entire society of America is systemically racist going 400 years back, which our governor... Mm-hmm. And the mayor of Minneapolis has been repeating. You talked about this issue of systemic racism and in explaining how these statistics really show more of personal choices, uh, lack of family structure and so forth. So, Virgil, I'll start with you on this one. Why did the Great Society programs of the 1960s, here's a quote of describing what those were. Uh, Ambitious series of policy initiatives, legislation, and programs spearheaded by President Lyndon Johnson with the main goals of ending poverty, reducing crime, and abolishing inequality. Why didn't the solutions, the policies instituted back then, why hasn't that moved the dial on some of these, these maladies that people see within the black community? The answer to that question is coming up on our final segment of the day. That's next here on the Christian Real of your Radio program. I'm David Wheaton. David Wheaton here to tell you about My Boy Ben, a story of love, loss, and grace. Ben was a yellow lab and inseparable companion at a stage in my life when I was single and competing on the professional tennis tour. I invite you to enter into the story and its tapestry of relationships. With Ben, my aging parents, with a childhood friend I would finally marry, and ultimately with God, who caused all things, even the hard things, to work together for good. Order the book for your friend who needs to hear about God's grace and the gospel, or the one who has gone through a difficult trial or loss, or just the dog lover in your life. Signed and personalized copies are only available at myboyben.com or by calling one 646 2233 That's 1-888-646-2233, or myboyben.com. People everywhere have anxiety about the coronavirus pandemic. What will happen to their health, their job, their finances, the future? There is also heightened spiritual awareness. Why is God doing this? Am I right with him? We encourage you to order Ray Comfort's 20-page booklet, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, which explains how one can have peace with God and a confident hope for this life and the next through the good news of the gospel. If you have never contacted the Christian Realview, request the booklet, How to Be Free from the Fear of Death, for free by calling us at 1-888-646-2233. For everyone else, You can order as many as you'd like for 50 cents per booklet, perfect for sharing with others. To order, go to thechristianworldview.org or call 1-888-646-2233. That's thechristianworldview.org. Very full segment ahead here in the last segment of the day here in the Christian Review. We're talking about systemic racism. Our guests are Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. Let's get straight back to our final moments of the day with them. Virgil, I'll start with you on this one. Why did the Great Society programs of the 1960s, here's a quote describing what those were, uh, ambitious series of policy initiatives, legislation, and programs spearheaded by President Lyndon Johnson, with the main goals of ending poverty, reducing crime, and abolishing inequality. Why didn't the solutions, the policies instituted back then, why hasn't that moved the dial on some of these, these maladies that people see within the black community?
1: Again, it goes back to what we talked about, about, about earlier. When you've misdiagnosed the disease, the cure that you're going to prescribe is not in and of itself helpful. We've got the history about L- Lyndon Baines Johnson. We, he, he was definitely no no friend of, of the quote unquote African-American community. The kinds of things that he stated, the kinds of things that he said were all in an effort to ensure that that black communities, and he did a great job that black communities would be voting Democrat for the rest of their lives. That was his whole point. His whole point was that he would have black folks and he he didn't use that word. (laughs) He said he he would have black folks voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And he knew that the way to do that was to go about providing some of these, quote unquote, solutions. His efforts weren't benevolent by any stretch of the imagination. They had in in and of themselves the promotion of his own cause, his own. It was to his own benefit and to his party's benefit for years to come. We actually did did an entire episode about the issue of socialism, which, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more blacks who who lean in in leftist ways, uh, economically speaking and otherwise. These programs weren't designed to help. Uh, That's why we're finding that they don't help because they've never identified, they've misidentified what the cause is. And so, therefore, they're going to prescribe the absolute wrong cure.
0: Daryl, do you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I'll just add a couple things. A lot of that buys into a misunderstanding of what the role of government is. We have such a a maternalistic or paternalistic view, if you will, of government that government exists to provide for us from cradle to grave. We just have this – and to put a theological spin on it, we have gained this visage somehow, somewhere, that there should be no suffering in this world. You can't get more antithetical – to what the Bible teaches about this world, and to believe that there should be no suffering. I mean, if, if Jesus taught nothing else outside of the fact that you need to repent of your sins, he taught that in this world, you will have suffering. Uh, and, and that suffering is a result of this world being cursed by sin. We're starting to sound redundant here, but, but everything comes back to the sin issue. Every single thing comes back to the sin issue. You use the word malady Earlier, David, and I think, you know, to answer the question about why these quote unquote programs haven't moved the dial, it's because these aren't maladies. They're not maladies. These are situations that are the result of the biblical principle of reaping and sowing. This is what happens in a world that is engulfed in sin. You get where we make wrong decisions, we make sinful decisions, we don't apply biblical principles to how we handle our money, we don't apply biblical precepts to how we handle our marriage relationships, we don't apply biblical precepts to how we raise our children, how we operate on the job, how we uh, conduct ourselves within the ecclesiastical body, the church. I could go on and on. So a lot of this can be attributable to just God's principle, universal principle, applies to every person on this planet that you reap what you sow but we've inverted that so that we look to government to remedy what god's universal principles are supposed to bring about so we have this this sort of paternalistic view of government whereby we look to them to provide for us or to say yes to us what god has said no to
0: Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker with us today as our guests on the Christian Worldview, the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. You need to get this podcast. I hope as you're getting a flavor of what they they talk about regularly on their program that you'll go and sign up for their free podcast at iTunes or Google Play or just go to their website, justthinking.me. Daryl is the Dean of Social Media at Grace To You. Virgil is a Discipleship Pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Back to you, Daryl. We, we've talked about the, the situation, some of the the, the sin that, that affects all people, of any melanin count, of course. But with regards to the black community, then, if these great society programs didn't help because of the sin issue, how did the black community get to the point where they're in the situation they consider themselves to be in, then?
2: You know, that's a great question. Within the black community, tribalism is so entrenched as a mindset, as a, as a way of life. And what I mean by tribalism, I define tribalism in, in the sense that your ethnicity, within Black America, your ethnicity should drive every aspect of your existence in this country. Everything you do, every decision you make should be for the benefit of the tribe first and the individual second. That sort of ethnic tribalism means more for black Americans than any other ethnic group in this country. So, for example, white Americans, it's perfectly fine for them to make autonomous decisions that benefit themselves individually. As a matter of fact, that's probably a lot of the envy that some black people have about white people is that they look out for themselves. When you look at the world through a tribalist window, then you see others' success as being attributable to your failure. So you succeed, David, on the heels of my failure. My poverty has directly contributed to your success. Therefore, you owe not just me, but you owe us. And that's where the collective tribalism comes in. You don't have to go any far any
1: any further back than the comments by one vice former vice president Joe Biden. He knew black culture well enough, having served with Barack Obama, that he could speak to the tribalism that is a part of the culture. And what he said was, if you have a problem choosing between Trump or Biden with regard to voting, you ain't black. That only makes sense to folks in a community. Who have made decisions solely on the basis of the lens of the melanin count in their skin, mm. and they continue to make those decisions on a regular and consistent basis that add to some of the poor conditions that we find ourselves in. And I know you remember this too, Daryl, kind of growing up. If you spoke English well, right? If, if you had, if, you, oh, if yes. you, if you, if you enunciated your yes. language well, you weren't, you weren't being black. If you made good grades in school quick story there's a, a young lady that i liked in school she's a black girl i was making good grades got on the dean's list she wouldn't give me the time of day because i wasn't black enough because my grades were were, were, were good so th- this is these are the kinds of kinds of things that are happening within black quote-unquote black culture that are tribalistic in nature that really harm us uh, and cause us to be in some of the horrifying conditions that we find ourselves in You play what I just said for a black audience, they will call me all kinds of names for pushing what's happening in reality in our communities out on the front porch, so to speak. I'm not supposed to say those things in mixed company for, for fear that I'll let our secrets out.
0: Be sure to tune in next week for part two. Until then, think biblically and live accordingly.
5: We hope today's broadcast turned your heart toward God, His Word, and His Son. To order a CD copy of today's program or sign up for our free weekly email or to find out how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, go to our website, thechristianworldview.org or call us toll free at 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a weekly one-hour radio program that is furnished by the Overcomer Foundation and is supported by listeners and sponsors. Request one of our current resources with your donation of any amount. Go to thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233 or write to us at Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly.